Broadcasting from the campus of Loyola University, it's 88.7 WLUW, Chicago Sound Alliance. Thank you for joining me every Sunday morning at 11 here on 88.7 FM WLUW. Got an hour uninterrupted of your favorite small town kid. Go to the Loyola Phoenix, Nick Schultz. I know Sister Jean pretty well. I think he's the sports editor. There. He is. Right. He's a sports he's editor. Yeah. Sports good, columnist, sports writer. And, uh, and there's a, there's... I'd be lying if I said I wasn't watching baseball in class. Nick Schultz, who is a, a rising star in the profession. Our guy, Nick Schultz, covers oil for the student newspaper there, the oil of Phoenix. I have to keep pinching myself <laughs> and asking if this is real. I cannot believe this is happening. I'm a poor, starving college student, so I would say I was physically here, but I wouldn't say I was mentally here. All right, good morning, everybody. Welcome into the Sunday Sports Shootout here on WLUW 88.7 FM. I am your host, Nick Schultz, here with you until noon. Great to be back with you again. Now we are. We are ready to go. We are rocking and rolling here. Had some tech issues with the microphone here, getting connected from, you know, 75 miles away from the station. But we're good to go now. We are all set. we got a lot to get to. And it also just came across my Twitter timeline that... We do have some breaking news about the DePaul job, and if you're a Loyola fan, you're not going to like it because Kenny Payne has passed on the DePaul job. More on that in a bit, but that is breaking news. I just saw that. I don't know when that came out. Just came across my Twitter timeline. That's going to be a discussion later in the show. But the focus today is on the Loyola Ramblers, who saw their season come to an end yesterday at the hand of the Oregon State Beavers in the Sweet 16. And as I wrote in my postgame column, it's a bad day to have a bad day. That's basically what it comes down to. The fact that the Ramblers only made four field goals in the first half and it was still a winnable game is crazy to think about. Like that in in the NCAA tournament especially, that should not be a winnable game. But it was. And that finally caught up to them. I mean, the, the four made field goals in the first half, it was not good offensively. And you can't... Oregon State's defense was good I'd say they run that zone and Loyola at least what they said on the broadcast and another place where they got the information from I can't remember the name of it Loyola only faced a zone five percent of the time this year so like Seth Davis said on the broadcast it's not that they were unprepared they were just unfamiliar and in the second half you saw them finally start breaking that zone from Oregon State but by then it was too little too late Got into foul trouble. I'm not getting. I'm not getting into whether or not the referees were right, were wrong, were good calls, bad calls. I know there were a couple questionable calls. I, I get that those happen, but I'm not going to sit here and criticize the referees the whole time because, frankly, it shouldn't come down to the referees. So I, I'm just going to throw that disclaimer out there. And I have opened up like on Twitter. If you want to chime in, I wish I could take calls, but I can't. Please chime in on Twitter. Tweet me at Nick Schultz underscore seven. If you have any thoughts on the game or anything going on with the Loyola Ramblers, I'm not reading anything about the referees 
just there were questionable calls. Those happen. Breathe in, breathe out. Let's move on from that because there were more problems that led to the loss. And I'm going to say this is the first time all year I have really said that this was an issue. The free throw shooting. What happened? The first half, they were great. They were, I think they were like seven for nine or something. And the second half, they just couldn't make a free throw. And that's what cost them. I mean, Tate Hall missed three of them. I think he was the only one that didn't make one. I mean, Cameron Crutwick had a good day from the line. He was perfect. Marquise Kennedy, who's one of the best free throw shooters on the team, he missed a couple. You've got to take the free points when they're given to you. And I wish I had the stat. I didn't think to look. I want to know how many points came off missed free throws for Oregon State. And it was all in the second half. But then, as I, as I said, the offense started finding a groove. They started putting something together, finding their way through the zone. Well, once they started scoring, I can't believe I'm saying this, the defense couldn't get a stop. I mean, this is the best defense in the country, the Loyola Ramblers are. And they couldn't get a stop. And it was just, I know we call it uncharacteristic. I mean, Porter Moser in the post-game press conference didn't call it uncharacteristic because he said they played hard. No, uh, Coach, due respect, it was uncharacteristic. The defense just wasn't the defense we're used to seeing. It wasn't the defense we saw last Sunday when Loyola knocked off number one seed Illinois, which that was absolutely crazy. I'm really glad we didn't do a show that day because WLUW has been airing all the NCAA tournament games for Loyola, and that game tipped off at 11. And I could have done the show just on the stream, but I'm, I'm glad I didn't do a show and instead watched the game because as an alum, because I watched that game as an alum more than a reporter because I run my blog and I did have a virtual credential through the U.S. Basketball Writers Association, which thank you to David Warlock and Malcolm Moran and anyone at the USBWA involved, maybe Seth Davis too. Thank you for the access to that because that was awesome sitting in on the post-game press conferences. But I could have done a show, and instead I watched as an alum, and let me tell you, I, that, was, that was a great, great day to be a Loyola Rambler, a Loyola alum, a Loyola student. It was, that was awesome last week. And the defense was a big reason why, because the defensive game plan, and I, I really wish I'd have had a show, because I told you what the, I, I kept telling people what the game plan should have been. Double team Kofi Coburn with a here walk and Cameron Crutwig and stick Lucas Williamson and Iota Sumu the whole time. And hope and if the other guys the other guys beat you, like your Trent Frazier's, your Andre Curbellos, if they beat you, you just got beat. And Frazier went one for ten from the field, and Curbello got into turnover trouble again, and Loyola won the game. It was awesome last week. I really thought Loyola was gonna build off that. I kept saying, other people kept saying if they can beat Illinois, they can beat anybody. That game yesterday was absolutely 100% winnable. But as my buddy Jonah Blatt chimes in, the story of the game was Oregon State's shots fell. And Loyola's didn't. And the defense was gassed at the end of the game. Yep, they, kept, they had to play catch up and they had to use all their energy on the offensive end. And the defense just couldn't get a stop. And I mean, that happens. Like the defense can't get stops. But of all times for the defense to, to run out of gas and the shots not to fall... I mean, that's just not good timing to have a bad game. And don't get me wrong. I'm being critical of the game yesterday. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and tell you everything's all peaches and roses or whatever the saying is. They played a bad game yesterday. That doesn't take away from the great season Loyola had. I mean, they went 26-5, and 
made the Sweet 16 for the second time in four years. Third straight NCAA tournament trip they've made the Sweet 16. Second time in four years. Cameron Crutwig and Lucas Williamson have cemented themselves as two of the great players in Loyola history. I mean, I said in my column, Loyola should now be in conversation at the national level. When talking college basketball, I'm hoping we get to the point where we don't have to say Loyola Chicago. We can say Loyola and we know who we're talking about. Like, that's where we're getting at. I know the Sister Jean stories are always going to be there. So, now Loyola on the court is a noticeable product. And they put themselves on, put themselves on the map. They won the Valley this year. I mean, it is an all-around great year. And my, my, my pal Tim Edmonds put it best on Twitter. When let me, let me get the exact phrasing here. I retweeted it yesterday, and all I said was what he said because there was no way I could say it any better than Tim did. I mean, as a Loyola alum, this is from Tim Edmonds, a fellow Loyola alum. He and I were, he was in my class. We were good friends. This team carried a lot of us through some pretty tough months. So unbelievably excited for the future and proud to be a Rambler. I'm, I said this. I said what he said because that summed it up perfectly. I mean, it was a great distraction from everything that's been going on in our world with the, with the pandemic, with so much happening in our world. It's been great to escape through a really, really good Loyola Chicago team. So thank you to the Loyola Ramblers, and thank you to all of you for following along as I do the show and talk Loyola and run my blog, Talking Loyola. I just want to throw that out there as well, because this it was a special year, and it's, it, it's sad that it had to end the way that it did, frankly. And that's basically what I said in my column. Like, it, it didn't have to end like this. But it did. I mean, that's this is March. There's a reason this is March is a saying. So Oregon State... Your Cinderella story for this year, 12 seed in the Sweet 16. They will take on Houston tomorrow. I believe that game is 7-15, I think. They announced the times late last night, and I was like half awake when I read it. But either way, Oregon State and Houston facing off tomorrow on Monday, and Loyola now looks to the offseason. So, a lot of questions around the offseason. And I was going to do a full column, maybe do a periscope on this last night. But I wanted to use this space here. I, I thought about booking a guest. I had, a, I had actually had a text typed up, ready to send to someone to come on the show today. And I got to thinking about it. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to be selfish. I want to use this space for me. I want to come on here and use the full hour or so, however much space I need, to fully articulate my thoughts on the future for the Loyola Ramblers. Because, I mean, I covered these guys for four years. Yeah, I quote-unquote covered them this year. It was from afar, for my blog and the Periscopes I did, and the radio show. But I really think, I want to share some insight from my end. My two cents on what could happen in the future here. So let's start with the immediate one, which is, do the seniors come back? I have gotten this question all year in my Twitter DMs. And I kept saying, I, I don't want to speculate publicly. And Porter Moser has repeatedly said, I mean, he is emphatically, repeatedly, it's been the same answer every time. He's like, we're not having those conversations until the end of the year. And yesterday in the post-game press conference, he was asked about it, because, I mean, the season ended. You have to ask about it. 
here is what Porter Moser had to say about the seniors, specifically Cameron Crutwig and Lucas Williamson. The senior group, um, you know, I talked about the senior group in 2018 changing the direction of the program. This senior group changed it again to another level. Um, you have to, you talk about leaving a wake of influence behind you. Um, those seniors, Lucas and Crutwig, the, the wake they leave for Loyola basketball. And uh, we'll have conversations coming out here in the near future about for them. So that was Porter Moser talking about the futures for Cameron Crutwig and Lucas Williamson. I really, I'll be honest, I have no idea. Even Crutwig was in the press conference yesterday said he hadn't even thought about coming back next year. I have no idea if we'll see those two in the maroon and gold again. They have 99 wins together. Yesterday could have been number 100 in a Loyola uniform. But either way, they had, they had great careers no matter what they decide to do, whether they decide to go pro, whether they decide to come back. Whatever happens, happens. And, I mean, I really don't have much to add in terms of whether the seniors come back. But as I wrote in my column yesterday, here's who will be back, or at least right now. Who I mean, because I want to say who will. I mean, this isn't meant to be, like, cryptic or anything like that. I'm just saying with the transfer portal having damn near a 1,000 people in it, when I say who will be back, this is who is set to come back, who could be big pieces down the road, because you never know what can happen in the offseason. Again, I have no insight into anything that no one doesn't know yet. Like, I have no underlying context to that disclaimer, but I'm just saying let's be careful here when I say who will be back, like who who is expected to be back. I mean, we can start with Braden Norris, who talk about a kid who kind of came into his own this year. I mean, he took the leap. He was all freshman at Oakland in the Horizon League, took the leap up to the Valley, and it looked like he's been here the whole time. I mean, he was the workhorse. He played a lot of minutes. He was second-leading three-point shooter behind Keith Clemens. I mean, I saw some really, really good things out of Braden Norris this year. He opened some eyes during the tournament. I saw Pat McAfee called him the Loyola Chuck Norris dude or whatever he said. And Braden Norris is going to be a centerpiece in the next couple of years. Another one's going to be Marquise Kennedy, who's absolutely electric. He's come off the bench. I mean, the only reason Marquise Kennedy's come off the bench is because the starting lineup has been that good. Marquise would start on every other Valley team. I mean, I don't think that's a stretch to say. I think he would start on every other team in the Missouri Valley Conference. So I expect Marquise – I'm looking at this if the seniors don't come back – I expect Marquise to leap into the starting lineup like it's nothing. He's going to step into a leadership role. His playmaking ability is going to be on display. I'm really high on Marquise Kennedy. I think he can be one of the best players in the conference. You might be looking at a potential player of the year in Marquise Kennedy down the road. Cooper Kafis in his first year back after a torn labrum. He missed all of last season with it. Didn't quite look like himself. He came off the bench. It didn't quite look like the Cooper Cafes of old. I don't really know what was going on there. Like the three-point shooting stroke just wasn't there this time around. But either way, I think Coop can rebound. I, I mean, if there's one thing Porter Moser is good at, it is developing guys and helping them get even better. And I, I think Coop will bounce back from this year. It wasn't really a necessity to have him in the lineup because you had the three-point shooting in Norris and Clemens and Williamson. So, I mean, if Coop had an off night, like, okay, he can just relax. And I think coming back from the injury was tough. So I expect Coop to take a leap forward next year. Tom Welch is a piece I am still 
I would have voted for for most improved team this year because he took a huge leap. I mean, toward, down the stretch, he didn't get the minutes he did throughout the year, and that's because of matchups. I mean, Tom's, he's 6'8", six, 6'9". Six, he's, actually, I think he's 6'8". He'd be a smaller big. He's big. He's a stretch five when he's in the lineup. I think he should be a stretch four in the lineup. And I expect Tom Welch to do big things, especially when he's partnered up with Jacob Hudson down low. Jacob Hudson is your big man of the future, and he is a Cameron Crutwig in a different way. With Crutwig, it was the first time, at least from a Loyola side, you saw a center who could, he had great footwork, he could pass like he could. It was a Nikola Jokic type. And I, it was something Loyola fans didn't expect to see out of a big man. I think with Jacob Hudson now, you're going to see more of the big man who can shoot the three. Because if there's there was one thing Crutwig couldn't do, it's hit a jumper. I mean, Crutwig's jump shot wasn't it wasn't there, but he meant he meant up for it in other ways. That's why he was the Valley Player of the Year. Your Valley Player of the Year had a hard time making jump shots. Hudson is a good shooter. And I think if his footwork comes around, he's he's got a decent passing ability. That's your big man of the future. I think him at the five and Tom Welch at the four would be a great lineup from a three-point shooting perspective. And it really would allow it, it would allow the offense to space out the defense and create some shots, create some good looks down low. Uh, those two names are some to watch. And Baylor Hebb. We didn't see a lot of Baylor Hebb this year. He's a freshman out of Texas, only got a few minutes. Porter made the point in his press conference yesterday about how there are guys that we val- that we that have a lot of value but didn't get big minutes this year because we were such a deep, experienced team. Baylor Hebb fell victim to that. He was one of those guys that this year didn't get the minutes that he probably could have last season because this lineup was so deep and experienced. And I watch out for Baylor Hebb down the road. He's another three-point shooting threat out of Texas. Let's get to some submissions here from my DMs. My guy, Steve Timble. Famous Porter Moser saying, how do you win games when your shots aren't falling? Seems like the saying for the day. Yeah. I mean, when your shots aren't falling, I mean, that's going to happen. And Jonah Blatt chimes in, can't forget about Demise Anderson. Should be a very dynamic player. Yeah, Demise, transfer from Indiana. More on Indiana in a little bit, by the way. I have thoughts. But Demise is a name to watch. He didn't. He's another one. Didn't get a lot of minutes this year in his eligibility after the waiver from the NCAA, didn't get a lot of minutes. I think Porter was, I reported this at my blog too, that Loyola wasn't going to apply for a waiver for Demise. They were going to use this year to develop him, and Porter's success rate with transfers has been excellent. I mean, Marcus Towns, transfer. Clayton Custer, transfer. Ahir Ugwa came into his own this year, transfer. Milton Doyle, transfer. Braden Norris, transfer. I feel like I'm even missing one somewhere. Andre Jackson was a JUCO transfer. So, yeah, I, th- I think this year was more of a development year for Demise. And, yeah, he's going to be dynamic down the road as well. Daryl Horowitz, former co-host of the show, chiming in. Defensive rebounding failure, three-point shooting for Loyola. Free throws is mentioned, but one ref mentioned. The first half foul call on Uguak with Loyola leading by three and the basket taken away that would have made it five with a free throw possibly making it six. Instead, Oregon State immediately hit a three to tie a big swing. Maybe a momentum changer because Loyola did nothing after that in the first half. It also gave him another foul, which might have hurt his defensive aggressiveness. Now, I, I agree. Ahir fell victim to some very questionable calls yesterday. And I'm, I'm not going to sit here and talk about how bad the refs were. 
I thought they had a decent game outside of a few calls, and those few calls happened to go against here in some cases and Loyola. But yeah, I mean that foul was huge, and it changed the momentum. And there were a couple phantom calls that I'll I'll just call them I'll call them out. There were phantom calls, and I mean there's not much you can do when referees get a little whistle happy. But again, I'm not going to sit here and blame solely the referees. Like you said, Daryl, the def- defensive rebounding wasn't there. Oregon State got a lot of offensive boards. The three-point shooting wasn't there. I kept saying Loyola needed to go inside. They were one even when they started finding their way through the zone. They were shooting threes. Like, no, get inside. Work through Crutwig. I'm sitting there yelling at my TV, going, "Get inside! You have a big man, a player of the year in the Missouri Valley. He has great footwork and he can make plays from down low. Run through Crutwig. I did not understand why they kept chucking up threes. It's the old saying: the guy goes one for fifteen from the field." but 7-for-7 seven seven from the free throw line. Why are you following that guy at all? Just let him go. He's not going to make it. That's another West Wing reference, by the way. I am full of those the last couple of days. That is, an, that is from an episode of the West Wing where I got that from. But yeah, you got to get inside when your three-point shooting isn't there. And I, I, thought, I thought Loyola took too many threes yesterday. I mean, eventually with a team like this, if you shoot them enough, they're going to start falling. And they started too later in the game. But I, I really wish they'd have worked. I really wish they'd have worked the ball inside more. But that's just me. I'm not. I'm not the coach who's led a team to two Sweet Sixteens, including a Final Four, in the last four years. That's that's just me watching from my chair in Dwight, Illinois. Uh, Steve Timble chimes back in. Nick, how many scholarships does Porter have in total, and how could they be applied to the new recruits, transfers, and possible senior holdovers? Well, Steve, to answer that question, I don't know for sure how many Porter has left to give out, especially if the seniors come back, because I do believe the scholarship count can adjust on its own. It can adjust if you have players come back. I'm not sure. Don't quote me on that. I have not done a lot of reading into what the scholarship situation would be if the seniors decide to come back. Right now, according to verbal commits, he has three scholarship spots left to offer for next year, assuming everybody leaves. Now, keep that in mind. There are two graduate transfers coming in. And Ryan, I think it's Schweiger, Ryan Schweiger. Can, someone please get me pronunciation on that. I've been asking for weeks. And Chris Knight coming in from the Ivy League. But according to verbal commits, Porter has three spots left for next year. And again, I'm not sure how... The, I, the potential of the seniors coming back affects everything. I just haven't gotten into the nitty-gritty of what can happen because we haven't heard a lot about players coming back next year. And when I say we haven't heard a lot about it, I'm saying we haven't heard much of how scholarship limits are going to be affected outside of the very vague NCAA rule. I think we're going to know more about that as the season goes along. And I think as players announce they're going to stay, we're going to hear more about what the scholarship situation is going to look like. The other question involving the scholarships, and it involves maybe potential transfers in this case, is, is Porter Moser going to stay at Loyola? Well, let me start with this piece of audio here. This is from the press conference yesterday. A Great question, by the way, from Kyle Brown, 
good friend of mine from the Loyal Phoenix. And he, it was, it was a good, it was a well-phrased question, is how I'll put it. And Porter gave a great answer, all things considered. Here's what he had to say. Just wondering, I've seen your name pop up a lot with, um, you know, job openings around the country. Uh, and I know it's fresh off the loss um, and the season, but have you given any thought to staying at Loyola or looking elsewhere? Well, Kyle, you hit it right in the nail on the head. It's fresh off the loss. And uh, this one stings. All of my thoughts are with these guys in this program. So, uh, no, I haven't. And uh, just, I just need to take a breath with these guys. Um, and it's, it's been very, very tough. Um, you know, when you build a relationship like the, with these guys and you see, it, you, you see the season end. So um, you hit the nail on the head. It's fresh off a loss. And I'm going to digest it with these guys. Again, I thought that was a great answer from Porter. All things considered, I thought it was a great, well-phrased question by Kyle, too, because the way the NCAA structures these Zoom press conferences, you only get one question. And what you do is you raise your hand on Zoom. There's a raise hand option. You raise your hand at the beginning, and the moderator sets the order. Well, that was Kyle's question, and I have a feeling that was meant to be asked later in the press conference. But great question by Kyle. That's why I left it in there because he, he said Kyle's name in there too. Well, and this, and here's where the other problem with this one question, raise your hand at the beginning structure comes in. A reporter from the Indianapolis Star, who I'm guessing covers Indiana basketball, raised his hand to ask the question. Well, Kyle asked about Porter Moser's future. Well, this reporter from the Indy Star had a question about the IU job in particular, and he prefaced this. I, I didn't keep this in here just for length's sake. The reporter started the question by saying, well, I only get one question, and I get, I get one shot at this, so here it goes. And here's the part of the question and Porter's answer. You know the deal. Every coach, every opening in the Midwest, they're going to look at you. Um, IU has one. If and when they call you, are you going to tell them you're interested in talking or not? Like I said, Greg, and I'm sorry you get one question and you had to use it on that one because, um, you know, it, I need to digest this. I, I've, I've had my blinders on and given 110% of Porter Moser to this Rambler team. So I've, I've blocked out the noise. I, I just need a, a time to touch, digest, digest this and uh, with these guys. And uh, so that's all I can tell you right now is, is I had blinders on. I know a lot of things were swirling outside around me. I can't help that. I can't control that. Um, the only thing that I was focusing on is giving 110% of my preparation, my energy, my love to this, these players through this time. And now I just need to sit back and just digest it for a second. So there you have it. That's, that is my biggest problem with these Zoom setups is I don't like the one question limit. And I don't like that you raise your hand at the beginning because then you can't ask the question when you want to ask it. So, I mean, the, that question had to be asked. I'm not knocking the question at all. Like, I, I mean, I thought the question needed to be asked. I thought the reporter asked it. I mean, the way he started it with the, uh, with the I only get one shot at this, and that's why when Porter joked back, like, I'm, I'm sorry, you only get one question, and you had to use it on that. Like, I, I the question needed to be asked. But I... I don't see a fit for Porter Moser at Indiana. 
let me get to this comment real quick. Recruiting, this is from Jonah Blatt. Recruiting-wise, I hope Porter sticks around and starts to build the state of Chicago for recruiting. Got to get into the room for the top kids in the state. That would be one of the biggest pros to Porter Moser staying is building. You keep hearing the Gonzaga of the Midwest. Steve Greenberg at the Sun-Times made the comparison to Butler. Speaking of Indianapolis, made the comparison to Butler. Porter Moser can do really, really big things. Bigger than he already has if he sticks around at Loyola. But, I mean, there are going to be, there are opportunities out there. And one of them seems pretty attractive to me. I don't care what people say. As we hit the bottom of the hour here, I'm a little short, but I'm going to get the station ID in. I want to remind you, you're listening to the Sunday Sports Shootout here on WLUW 88.7 FM, broadcasting from the campus of Loyola University. I'm coming to you from my garage in Dwight, Illinois. Alright, I talked about this at the beginning of the show. This apparently came out last night, and I missed it. So, let's talk about it now. According to multiple reports, this looks like it's multiple reports saying this, Kenny Payne has turned down the DePaul job. He will pass on it, is the phrasing in the headline from Joe Henriksen at the Sun-Times. That's huge. Like, Huge, huge, because he was the, he was their guy. Kenny Payne was their guy. That's who Dwayne Peavy wanted. That's who that was his number one. It seemed like that's who he went out to talk to. And I'm trying to get the story to load. I'm hitting a pop up from the Sun Times, but basically he he turned down the job. So that all came out in the last few days. That like oh Kenny Payne is. The guy they're zeroing in on. So, who now? Yeah, here, here's from 24-7 Sports. According to a report from Lawrence Kramer of the DePaulia, Lawrence is a friend of the show, I've had him on before. Payne recently met with DePaul President Gabriel Esteban, Chief of Staff Steve Stout, and Athletic Director Dwayne Peavy in Milwaukee as the school was looking to hire Payne as its next coach. Payne is in the middle of a current season with the Knicks that won't end until mid-May, and then perhaps further than that if New York makes the playoffs. <laughs> okay. Uh, according to Kramer, DePaul was previously working out logistics with the Knicks to make the hire. The news of Payne staying with the Knicks will come as a huge win for the team, being New York. New York has not made the playoffs in the last seven seasons, and the team has not posted a winning record since 2012-13 when it went 54-28. and This season has been different after the hiring of Tom Thibodeau and the development of some young stars on the team. The Knicks are currently 23-22 and 22 on the season and have won three of their last four games. New York is currently the number five seed in the Eastern Conference. And here's a quote from Dwayne Peavy from Lawrence at the Napolia. I hope this is my first I hope that is my first and last talking about the coaching search. Right? That's how you're supposed to get this done. I want to operate at a high level of efficiency. I've been prepared for this my whole life, whether it was getting the job of being in the seat. You are not going to be an athletic director if you are not prepared to deal with it. I do understand the important level of it. I do understand being charged with a huge responsibility for Blue Demon Nation everywhere. So now we have to go to who's next on the list for the DePaul Blue Demons. After Dave Leto was fired a couple weeks ago, Kenny Payne has taken himself off the board. If I'm, if I'm Dwayne Peavy, if I'm, I'd have been on the phone with Porter Moser immediately. 
I'd have called him last night. So here's the search. I've finally got the Sun-Times article to load. This is from Joe Henriksen at the Sun-Times. Uh, according to sources, the early process centered on Payne, Cleveland State coach Dennis Gates, and Duke assistant coach John Shire. And Joe also reports there's been a back and forth between the two being Payne and DePaul. Many in the industry believing a deal was imminent with Payne, with whom PV spent a decade with when they were at Kentucky. But Payne officially withdrew his name from consideration Saturday, so this was yesterday. Pacific coach Damon Stoudmire, South Carolina coach Frank Martin, and Illinois assistant Orlando Antigua reportedly have been contacted regarding the job. But with Loyola eliminated from the NCAA tournament after its Sweet 16 loss Saturday to Oregon State, does the attention turn to Porter Moser? Moser's the hottest name on the co- hottest coaching name on the market, and the coaching carousel this year is very active. Now, that's the DePaul smoke that's coming out right now. Yesterday, not even, how, how long was this after the game ended? This, this couldn't have been five minutes after the Oregon State game ended, the Sweet 16 game ended. Seth Davis at The Athletic and CBS Sports. I know the game just ended, but if Porter Moser is going to Indiana, as I expect, then Crutwig and Williamson could transfer there and play next season. Just saying. Okay. Let's look at these two jobs, because these two are going to be the biggest jobs Porter Moser has his name tied to. Marquette has been filled, and I know people thought Marquette was a was the biggest threat for Porter, and I, Marquette has been filled. And I thought they knocked it out of the park with Shaka Smart, by the way. I, I, think, I think Shaka was in over his head in the Big 12. And I really think, I, I think Marquette's a good fit for him. So now we're down to DePaul and Indiana. Let's start with Indiana. I tweeted this yesterday, and I, I have more I want to say on it, but I can only fit so much into I, it. It took me two tweets. I don't see a fit for Porter Moser at Indiana. From an IU standpoint, it'd be similar to Archie Miller, great mid-major coach who will want time to build a program. No way he'd get the kind of patience Loyola gave him. And this is tweet number two. People forget, it took Porter Moser seven seasons at Loyola to reach the NCAA tournament. Granted, that included a change in conferences, but the point stands. It's cliche as hell, but he's all about doing it the right way. That takes time. I don't see IU giving him that time. If Indiana didn't go for Archie Miller, if Archie Miller wasn't the guy they just let go, This'd be a, this would be a different conversation. But they went with a mid-major coach, a good mid-major coach, because Miller came from Dayton. Good mid-major coach, had some success, built a program, and let him go after four years. That alone should tell you that Porter would not get any patience to build a program. Because we all know Porter. He's all about building it up. Now, Indiana this year struggled. They were one of four teams from the Big Ten to not make the Big Dance. Which, side note, only one team from the Big Ten made the Sweet 16 out of nine bids. But that's neither here nor there right now. The point is, 
Indiana missed the tournament this year and decided to change coaches because they didn't make the tournament in the last few years. Will they make it next year? I mean, seriously, what are what are Indiana's chances of making the NCAA tournament next year? I don't watch Indiana basketball enough to know. What are their chances of making it next year, even if Archie Miller would have stayed around? I think with a coaching change now, they're still going to miss it next year. So are Indiana fans going to be that much more impatient? I just don't see them giving a coach like Porter Moser time to build a program and build it to be sustainable. That's the thing Loyola did. Porter was hired in 2011. Grace Calhoun was the athletic director. Loyola moved to the Valley in 2013. Grace left late 2013, early 2014, and Steve Watson came in. So you had an athletic director change on top of a conference change. And Steve, I mean, Steve Watson, he deserves some credit. Steve could have easily done what happened to Porter at Illinois State and said, Porter, I want my guy in here. Thanks for your time. We're going to go in a different direction. He didn't. He stuck to his guns. He stuck with Porter Moser, and that was the best decision he's made. So all the credit in the world to Steve Watson for continuing to give patience, to be patient with Porter Moser and let him build this program up because Loyola won one game in the Horizon League in Porter's first season. Even through my freshman year, which was the 2016-2017 season, Loyola got its highest seed at Arch Madness that season, my freshman year. It was a five seed. It was a five seed against number four seed Southern Illinois. I'll never forget it when Sean O'Brien, there's a name from the past, Sean O'Brien went nuts at Arch Madness and knocked Loyola out on day one, Milton Doyle's senior year. That gives you an idea of how long it took. There were some there there were some rough patches in there. So yeah, I I don't, I don't see Indiana. If that was Indiana, there is no way Porter Moser would still be the coach. So no, Seth. I don't think he'll end up at Indiana. I don't think it's a good fit for a coach of Porter's style. He is not... Who, who can we compare him to here? Let's say Brad Underwood, for comparison's sake. Brad Underwood turned Illinois around quick. Like, comparatively speaking, turned it around quick. He turned them from basically nobody to a, what should have been a national, content, a national championship contender. Porter will want time to build it to be sustainable. Porter doesn't coach one-and-dones. You ever notice that? He doesn't coach one-and-dones. These guys stick around. You look at the Dante Ingrams who developed into professionals. Ben Richardson, Clayton Custer. Milton Doyle developed into an NBA-caliber player. Milk got minutes with the Brooklyn Nets. But he didn't get drafted. Porter's all about doing it the right way, and I don't think Indiana will give him time to, quote, do it the right way. I don't, to define, people, you'll probably ask, what is the right way? I don't know if there's a black and white definition of doing it the right way. But I don't think Indiana will give him time, which is why if I'm Porter Moser, I'm avoiding Bloomington. And obviously not. Bloomington Normal. I'm talking Bloomington, Indiana. Okay. Now we need to talk about the DePaul job. 
And another, I got a question in here from Mark. I'm sorry, I'm going to butcher your last name. I think it's Mark Hoop. Mark, I, I, I apologize for mispronouncing that if I did. He said, begs the question, why did Payne turn the job down? I mean, would you leave the NBA for college? I mean, I know people have. I mean, it doesn't happen a lot. I mean, look at Fred Hoiberg. Look at Eric Musselman. Like, you've had guys leave the NBA for college, but I I wouldn't I wouldn't leave the Knicks right now. You could be a part of turning the Knicks around under Tibbs. And instead go to DePaul. Yeah, I, I that would be my reasoning why. Again, I don't know for sure. But that's just my two cents on it. So let let's look I wanna Okay, people have been quick to say Porter shouldn't even consider DePaul. Why DePaul? Why would DePaul be attractive? They haven't been relevant in years. Okay, let's back up a second. You're playing chess. Let's see the whole board here. You've got to look at the big picture. Has DePaul been relevant in recent years? No. Are they trying to change for the better? Yes. Gene Lenti Ponsetto is gone. That she was a big factor in DePaul not being DePaul. She's gone. Dwayne Peavy's in. Dwayne Peavy's a basketball guy. His number one priority is turning around men's basketball. He said that in his introductory press conference. They're trying to change for the better. And this hire, I, I trust Dwayne Peavy to make a good hire. Let's think about the job. I'm going to bring up two jobs. and I know this is going to ruffle some feathers among Rambler Nation. But I'm going to say it because you've got to think about where I'm coming from here. Let's take you back. April 2019. Reports come out. Porter Moser's in New York interviewing for the St. John's job. St. John's obviously not in a good state. At that time, Chris Mullen had just resigned. They made the first four. They were the 68th team in. Chris Mullen stepped down. There'd be seven scholarship players coming back. Porter Moser is interviewing and seriously considering the job. He turns it down. Stays at Loyola. And reportedly making $2 million a year for eight years. That's what they offered Porter. That's what the offer was. That's double what he, it's about double what he's making now. Porter's making about, he made 1.1 schmill last year. Last year or the year before. One of the two. Either way, he's making over a million dollars now. He turned down two million a year. Now let's think about the St. John's program. Think about the program as a whole, not current. Talk about the history. Play in the Big East. Play in Madison Square Garden. 12 NCAA tournaments from 1976 to 1988. He only missed once. Struggling program when Porter was considering the job. Obviously, they made the tournament this year, had the coach of the year now. But they were a struggling program, even though they played in the first four. They'd never finished higher than seventh in four seasons under Chris Mullen. It would have been a rebuild. Porter considered it. Now, think about what I'm telling you. And I'm waiting for my mentions to just blow up. 
let's take that situation. Let me read that again. Because I, I, let's read that again. A struggling program, never finished higher than seventh in the Big East, and effectively a rebuild. Take that from New York, and put it in Lincoln Park. I want to see. I want you to seriously think about this. They got a Big East team. Wintrust Arena isn't exactly Madison Square Garden, but it's still state of the art, still a nice place. I got two words for you about the history, Ray Meyer. That's all you have to say about the history at DePaul. Struggling program under the direction of a new athletic director because St. John's got a new athletic director the year before Mullen resigned. DePaul got a new athletic director and gave Dave Lato one year before moving in a new direction. That was the difference. Mullen left on his terms. Lato did not. That's a big difference, but my point stands. Big East team, state-of-the-art arena, the facilities, great history, struggling program with a new AD in charge. If Porter considered St. John's, he'd, I mean, I think he'd consider DePaul. Porter's a Chicago guy. He talks about it all the time. You, And any time it even gets close to being brought up that he's from Chicago. He talks about how he's a Catholic kid from Chicago. Grew up in Chicago in the 80s. DePaul was the team in the 80s. That was Chicago. That was that was Chicago. That was DePaul. WGN, NCAA tournaments, year in, year out. They were the team. And I, I want to say he's quoted, I want to say I read it in the Chicago Sun-Times in 2018, watching DePaul games. That was the story from Madeline Kenny, my good friend, about rekindling Loyola DePaul, which would have happened this year if it wasn't for COVID. You can't tell me you don't see the similarities here. Porter's got a family. He lives in Chicago. It'd be a huge move to go from Chicago to New York. If he takes a job in Lincoln Park, he doesn't have to move. The question is, would DePaul be able to pay him the money? Because, I mean, he Porter turned down $2 million a year at St. John's. I think DePaul needs to write him a blank check. If Dwayne Peavy's smart and if Esteban's willing to do it, if, they're, if they've got the money, write Porter a blank check. allow him to keep his recruiting ties he can it'd be a re, it'd be a restart it would absolutely be a restart from the bottom up it'd be tough i don't think it'd be as much of the bottom up as people think it is i think i think the paul has i mean javon freeman liberty is on the roster you got a piece to, that you can build around i think there's more talent there i think it came down to coaching for DePaul. But he can keep, he's got his recruiting ties in Chicago. He's got the track record of development. I think DePaul needs to give him a blank check. I'm not saying he'll take the job. Because my my dad and I had a conversation about this, and my dad brought up a good point. It's so good, I'm going to bring it up on the air. When you think of DePaul, 
You think of Ray Meyer. That's why I said the history. I got two words for you, Ray Meyer. You think you think of him. When you think of Loyola, and you've got to think about it now, my mind, when you think about history, goes to George Ireland or Gene Sullivan. Porter Moser can have his name toward the top of the list of historic Loyola coaches. Now, I know, like, the diehard college basketball fans will think George Ireland. But like my dad said, my, my dad's another one. He grew up in the Chicago area. Actually, he grew up down where I live now in the 80s, but he's, he's from South Suburbs. Ray Meyer was the dude. DePaul was the team. Yeah, Loyola had 1985. But DePaul, DePaul was DePaul. Now, you hear Loyola, you think Porter Moser, you think Sister Jean. It's a matter of, is Porter happy where he's at? And he clearly is, because he said at the time when he turned down St. John's, why run from happiness? He's clearly happy. He's in a good situation. He's got a good coaching staff. He's got a great roster. He's been two NCAA tournaments in four years. And NIT likely would have been two NITs had it not been for the COVID pandemic. Four 20-win seasons in a row. He's got the program built for stability. I could see him staying. That's my prediction is he's going to stay. But I would expect if Dwayne Peavy does what I think he should, go to Porter with a blank check, guarantee him the patience to build the program. That's going to be the key. I kept saying, IU, Indiana will not give him the patience. Indiana is win now. I mean, you think Bobby Knight. They are win now. They're all about winning. They're in the Big Ten. Indiana is Indiana. I mean, you think basketball, you think Indiana. Indiana wouldn't give him the patience. I I don't have any insight. This is pure speculation. But given how Dwayne Peavy's going about things at DePaul, I could see him giving Porter the patience he needs. Again, I have a feeling I'm going to get lit up for this. I have a feeling that take's going to light some fires under Rambler Nation. But you've got to think where I'm coming from. I mean, I've known Porter for for five years now. He's all about building the program. That's what he did at Loyola. He built the program. If he wants to start over, if he wants to do that again, on a bigger stage, because the Big East will give a little more margin of error come Selection Sunday. Big East would have a lot more wiggle room for a bid. Because remember the Valley this year, they were, we were sweating out a two-bid Valley. Big East, you can have multiple bids. And if you can get DePaul out of the cellar and get DePaul relevant again, I mean, it, that's, that's what it comes down to. I have no insight on that. And I'm not going to speculate if he wants to, if he doesn't want to. I'm saying if he does want the bigger stage, more wiggle room for March Madness for Selection Sunday, higher level conference, I wouldn't blame him. If he decides to stay at Loyola, I wouldn't blame him. 
what it comes down to is Porter needs to do what's best for him. Whether it's building the program in Lincoln Park or staying in Rogers Park with the program he built from the bottom up. That's just, that's what it's going to be. Uh, I My gut says he'll stay. But, I mean, you never know. The coaching carousel is going strong. His name's going to come up a lot. I mean, remember in 2019, he turned down St. John's and UNLV. I mean, that's what it's going to be whatever is best for him. And if I'm Dwayne Peavy, I'm preparing a blank check and I'm saying, name your price. But going back to the Seth Davis tweet about Indiana, even throwing out there that Crutwig and Williamson could transfer to IU and play for Porter. Give me a break. The game had just ended. There's a time and a place. And we don't know if they're coming back next year or not. I mean, that's why Porter has been so emphatic. They have not had the conversations. I have a feeling those will happen soon. It's only one day after the loss, and it's Sunday, so I don't know. But give me a break. I mean, that, that tweet made me... That, whatever. Yeah, why try... This is from Jonah Blatt. Why try and build another DePaul dynasty when you could build the first Loyola dynasty? Uh, I wouldn't say the first. I mean, the 63 team did win a national championship, and they did get back to the tournament a few more times after that. Uh, just keep that in mind. And this next message, he just chimed in. That's what I was saying with Ray Meyer. You'll always be compared to the 80s at DePaul. At Loyola, he sets the benchmark because the previous success was so sporadic. Yeah, I uh, sporadic. Yeah, you could say sporadic. I mean, the 60s, I mean, you had the 63 championship team, still the only team in the state of Illinois to win a national championship. You had the 80s, the 85 team without Frederick Hughes. I mean, that was was a great team. Now, Porter, he can set up the Gonzaga of the Midwest. And I, I I looked, just to clarify, I was born in July of 1998. Gonzaga has made every NCAA tournament since 1999, which means they have made the NCAA tournament every year in my lifetime under Mark Few. So he could build the Gonzaga of the Midwest. And yeah, I could see it. But this is why I wanted this full space, this conversation right here. And I know I'm, I feel like I'm beating the dead horse, but I really wanted to lay out my argument. I wanted to lay out my case. And I know, like I said, I have a feeling Loyola fans aren't going to like it. But I wanted to lay that out there. And that's why I, I took the time. You heard every bit of my argument for why he could leave, why he could stay. Do with it what you will. We've only got a few minutes left. I did not get to talk about the Bulls at the trade deadline. Because if you missed it, the Bulls made moves at the trade deadline. Didn't play well last night in their first game with the new-look lineup, led by Nikola Vucevic at center, which is still weird to say. You know, I, I tweeted yesterday that Loyola was playing in the Sweet 16, and the Bulls were playing with 
the new look lineup in the same day. A little lost, and the Bulls look like garbage. So the tweet aged well. So I'll have more thoughts on the Bulls on Wednesday on my podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. But I really wanted to, I wanted to dive in deep on Loyola, the situation with next year. I still think the future is bright. Again, I keep saying I'm not going to speculate on whether the seniors stay or not, whether they stay or leave. It's their decision. And just like with Porter and this coaching carousel, they got to do what's best for them. We'll see. I think the next couple weeks are going to be huge. But yeah, I, I think the future is absolutely bright. No matter what happens with Porter's situation, the future is bright. This program, I, I don't want to say team, it's a program. This program is built. It is built for success, built for stability. The big thing is going to be getting Porter to stay because it's going to be tougher to keep him this time around. Everybody wants him. And I don't think it's out of line to say everybody. My gut says he'll stay. And I wouldn't be surprised if a couple of these seniors stuck around too. And if they do, I hope Loyola fans don't put their dancing shoes somewhere they'll forget them because you're, you, I have a feeling you'll need them next year. If Porter comes back and a couple of these seniors come back. Because I have, I really don't have a lot of insight on these recruits yet. I know Ty Johnson is a force at DePaul Prep. I know I I keep I, I need to find a phonetic pronunciation of Ben 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 and Ryan's last names. Schweiger or Schweiger? I think it, it, my gut says Schweiger. But either way, he's a great athlete, former volleyball player. I'm talking about Ben. I don't know much about Ryan or Chris Knight, the Ivy League transfers. Really not sure what we're looking at there. But either way, this program is built. Got to look at the good. The, the program is built. They're going to be fine. It's going to be a good year next year, I think. And especially with the recruiting chops of Porter and the staff. I mean, the sta- Porter gets a lot of the credit for recruiting. That staff is Really good at recruiting. I mean, it's, it's it's the whole it's the whole staff is good, and obviously we have to watch the transfer market too because it it seems like Loyola has been in on every transfer that's in the portal. That's what it seems like. They haven't been like that's it is an exaggeration, but you hear the reports from like Jeff Borzello and John Rostein, so and so is in the transfer portal and has already heard from. Such and such, such and such, Loyola, Chicago, Fordham. Like, it, I mean, it seems like every one of them. So there's going to be a lot to watch now. I didn't expect the season to end this soon. I expected them to be playing on Monday. But you know what? It's where we're at. And I mean, now we got to look at the offseason. It's going to be a busy one. So I'm out of time. Thank you for indulging me. Thank you for letting me fully lay out my argument for Porter's future. And I know I kind of it kind of got long-winded, but I really wanted to lay out my entire argument for it. And th- I just want to thank you for listening. And I hope to see you back here next Sunday for the show. Check out my Believe in Bulls podcast on Wednesday. Everybody stay safe, stay healthy, wear a mask. I will talk to you next Sunday. Have a great week, everybody.